Howdy folks and welcome to the Hunting Stories Podcast. I'm your host Michael and we got a great one for you today. Today we're going to hear some stories from Zach Hansen. If you don't know Zach, he's the author of the book Turning Feral. Um, he went from the, uh, you know, the normal, everyday, day-to-day life, you know, nine-to-five job and then decided that he's going to go ahead and move from Austin, Texas up to Atlanta, Idaho, town with a population of 35. And so he has gone full bore into hunting into trapping and uh, basically living off the grid, which is pretty amazing for an adult onset hunter. So I want to thank Zach very much for coming on the podcast. Uh, it was a pleasure chatting with you. And um, his stories are, are really great and really funny. So I hope you guys enjoy. Now let's go ahead and let Zach tell you his stories. All right, Zach, welcome to the Hunting Stories podcast, brother. How are you doing? Doing well, man. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, man, super happy to have you. I told you already before the show, and as I was, this is how I always start the show, of course. But uh, I actually had you on a list of people that I wanted to reach out to um, because I've heard you on some other podcasts, and then you actually reached out to me. So your ears must have been burning, man. Uh, but thank you so much for coming on. I'm super excited to hear some of your stories. I remember when I heard you on the Western Huntsman podcast with Jim Huntsman, who we had on the uh, the podcast about three episodes ago or something like that. I was like, this guy and I have like similar paths but we took very different turns at one point or another because you know you're out there uh in atlanta idaho and i'm down here in new Braunfels, texas now so but um other than that i i could see my life being your life like in a heartbeat so i'm super excited to hear some of the hunting stories that you have because we're both on adult onset hunters but went on a, a, a rant there but why don't you introduce yourself to the folks that don't already know you yeah, sure. Um, first off, New Braunfels. I've been down there many times. I used to live in Austin. Uh, so the barbecue down there and like some of the different things going on, fantastic. So you picked not a bad area to be in yourself. Yeah, um, no, that's it, family mostly. <laughs> yeah, well, it's not a bad place to be. It's warmer than Idaho. But uh, like you said, my name's Zach. Uh, I'm also an adult onset hunter. I didn't start hunting till I was 27, but I live in Atlanta, Idaho. Atlanta, Idaho is a town of 35 people down an 80 mile long dirt road at the base of the Sawtooth Wilderness. There's 35 of us that live there year round. No grocery store, no gas station. We, you know, do our own electricity off of a dam we built, Um, you know, Starlink internet. So if you hear lag or anything like that, blame Elon Musk. Um, But yeah, we're, we're out in the middle of nowhere, man. And I've just been really going for the past four years now all in on hunting and trapping. So that's kind of my background. That's awesome. So what, what specifically got you into hunting? Let's start there. So I grew up in the Southeast in South Carolina and I always grew up with good old boys around me hunting. Uh, Some of my family hunted like extended family, but my immediate family didn't. So it just was something I was always kind of exposed to, but never took hold of for whatever reason. And it wasn't until my late 20s, living in Louisiana with my ex-wife, who was an FBI special agent, where we did high-level jujitsu. I've done jujitsu since I was 15. Um, She was a world champion, and we were hyper-focused on fitness and, you know, optimization of performance. I wrestled all through high school and college. So it was just something that was interesting to me. I've always been into diets. And, you know, in my late 20s, I really got into food. In fact, like my undergraduate degree was in political science and I did my dissertation (laughs) on the politics of food. So like 
Michael Pollan, these guys who do these big ranches with like holistic food and whatnot. And so I just got curious where my food came from. And that kind of led me down this path to be like, hey, it'd be a whole hell of a lot better instead of me paying, you know, absurd amounts of money for a steak where I could get like a, a deer backstrap, something like that. So that's what got me hunt curious in the first place. Just food. Yeah. yeah, you know what? It was food for me as well. Uh, I got invited by in-laws and I was like, I'm not really interested, but I, I love to eat meat. So I should at some point figure out where I, where that comes from. I should know what that process is like. Um, a question I have for you being in Atlanta now, like, do you still practice jujitsu? Is that still part of your life or, or do you have like a jujitsu club with like three of the other people? In town? <laughs> no, so the, the answer is yes, but um, so Whenever we're down in Boise, there's a really great gym here. Um, actually, a very high-level gym of all places in Boise, Idaho. So I'll train, but my training is definitely the past several years taking a backseat. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's kind of catches catch can whenever I can. And the good news is, uh, I convinced <laughs> uh, two hunting buddies actually to snatch up property in Atlanta whenever it's come on the market. So now we're actually getting a little bit of a commune. So now we have some folks who could actually beat each other up. So it's great. That's awesome. So, so are they living there full-time or are they part-timers? Part-timers. So, I mean, they, okay. they kind of vacation houses, but they come up, you know, we have so many hunting seasons in Idaho. I'm sure we'll get into that. Like I was talking with my wife yesterday. She's like, this shit's year round for you. I'm like, yeah, I get like a little break in July, but really it's we have so many opportunities throughout the year in idaho so these guys are coming up a lot yeah yeah that's funny that you say that my wife is like man you hunt all year long i'm like no i don't it's like september through january february and now we're here in texas like moved here two weeks ago basically and i'm like okay yeah nope hunting season is now year round with the hogs and the and the exotics and things like that i, I actually went odd ed hunting last week so <laughs> no luck Oh, did awesome. see some, but uh, none came out. The, the only odd ad we saw was uh, we basically first morning or actually afternoon, first afternoon drove in, parked to the, the ranger and just looked on a hillside and we, we scared one away like immediately. And, and that was it. Otherwise, um, I think that, that that cold that kind of crushed the whole country, it got to Texas. It wasn't nearly as cold as everywhere else, but I think that it kind of made the animals act a little bit different. So, Yeah, that, that cold makes me act different too. I was out yesterday morning checking beaver lines and it was a negative eight. So I understand Ooh. how those Aldad and other animals feel when it's a little chilly. Yeah, I think it was as coldest it got here was like 17. But yesterday here in New Braunfels, it was 81. So I'm I'm sorry for you, Zach, with the negative eight. <laughs> but uh let's wow. let's kick things off, man. Let's um let's get you into some of your hunting stories. Um you know, start wherever you want, whether it's your, your first hunt or, you know, the, the stupidest thing one of your hunting buddies ever did, you let us know. It's kind of set the stage. Yeah. Well, I mean, the stage is vast for stupid hunting stories. Um, and that's kind of like my specialty, you know? So as we talked about, right, I didn't get into <laughs> hunting till I was 27. Um, and I talk a lot about this in the book. I didn't mention that when, uh, I did my intro, but you know, for those who aren't in the know, I did just recently write a book it's been doing really well. It's been on the bestseller list, but it is exactly kind of chronicling my journey from being somebody who's never hunted in their life to someone who is now just full bore 24 seven hunting trapping. Um, so go pick up the book. It's a lot of fun, but I'll kind of highlight some of the stories. 
from it. Yeah. Um, and the title real quick. I, 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 I let me guess. Cause I did order it the other day. I haven't read it yet, but turning feral. You got it. Perfect. Perfect. Yep. So turning feral, um, it, it's available wherever books are sold that whole spiel, but yeah. So <laughs> I think one of my favorite stories is, well, let me put it this way. The story that a lot of people I talk to like for me to tell is my first bear hunting story. So, you know, my journey was pretty typical. I started off hog hunting in Louisiana, moved to deer, like white-tailed deer in Tennessee with in-laws similar to you, ex-in-laws now, um, and then kind of went through this journey where then all of a sudden I was doing elk out in Idaho, antelope, you know, mule deer, and then bear. Yep. And bear was one of those things for me where, where we live, we have a lot of black bear. So, you know, as the years have gone by and I've become more and more into it, like behind our house where I have like bait barrels, I had this past spring within like a four day time frame, 19 different black bear into my barrel. So just huge wow. population of black wow. bear. Okay. So lots of them. But for me, you know, it's still a new thing. Like this past elk season was the first time I hunted in grizz country up in West Yellowstone, saw a grizz at a very long distance. And I was like, fuck this. This is uh, a, <laughs> I don't, it, it, it's for somebody who's never really hunted. And then to kind of get into this predator game is, it's scary is the only way to put it. It was for me at least. And maybe I'm just a wuss. I don't know. No, but I'm, the, you know, I'm right there with you. With a, Getting used to trying to hunt bear was interesting. You know, it was spot and stalk. Um, I was doing it with a bow and I kept finding bear signs. So I was trying to do spot and stalk. I would trudge out in snow, even though it was May, but that's, you know, where we're at in Idaho, there's always snow. And yeah. I eventually did find a bear and it happened to be a sow with two cubs. So I was like super butthurt. I, you know, had trekked all these miles in the back country with my bow and I finally found a bear and it was a bear I couldn't shoot. So I went home and I was complaining to my wife. She's like, Oh, you know, it's all good. And we went to bed the next morning. I wake up and I kind of look out our back door and I noticed something in the yard. And I was like, what, what is that? And I poked my wife. I'm like, that's a white, what is that? And she's like, Zach, that's a diaper. And I was like a diaper. <laughs> and Mind you that we had at the time a three-month-old, maybe even younger, but, you know, very young infant in the house. So yeah. the night before, I had walked out and I took our trash out and I made the grave mistake of being a little lazy, not putting it either in the bed of my covered truck or downstairs. Um, and in that instance, a bear had come to our house and decided to rip through our trash and just spread it across <laughs> everywhere. So there were just baby diapers, <laughs> Snickers bars, you know, the whole lot. So, you know, unintentionally, I kind of baited this bear to our house and I was like, holy shit. And my wife, you know, is wanting me to clean up. But I realized that there was a bear there very recently. So I grabbed my bow, threw on some camo and bolted out the back door. And I followed this trash trail, you know, not very far before it ended. And then I was just trying to track some sign. And long story short, a few hours go by, you know, nothing. So I clean up all the trash a few hours later. You know, we go to bed and whatnot. The next morning, we're sleeping. And thankfully, I had my bow hanging right beside our bed. And, you know, our bedroom you know, had French doors on it. 
And those okay. French doors, French doors open to up the, the inside or to the outside? Oh, to the outside. Okay, no, gotcha. To the outside, and you know, it opens up to three thousand acres of national forest land. Like we have this huge backyard with nothing behind us. So the next morning rolls around. Baby's still sleeping in the crib in our room, and my wife elbows me, and she's not a panicky person. She's like, "Zach, Zach, what?" what's that noise? What's that noise? And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like the baby. I don't know. And she's like, no, 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 go, <laughs> go look out the window. And it was just that like first light, you know, just getting the first shooting light. And so I kind of pull back our curtains and look out these French doors and I go, Holy shit, it's a bear. And it was that same bear literally 35 yards out our window just kind of rummaging around like where the trash had been like sniffing where everything I had picked up. And yeah. I was like, holy shit. And my <laughs> wife, my wife is an amazing woman. She doesn't cuss, but she also has not been around a lot of bears. So she's bolted out of bed, came over and looked over my shoulder and her words verbatim were, holy shit, that's a fucking bear. That's a fucking bear. <laughs> and I was like, no, calm down. And uh, so I'm in my underwear is what this boils down to. And I go, okay, honey, like, I'm going to shoot this bear. She's like, you're going to what? I'm like, I'm going to shoot this bear. So I grabbed my range finder, which also happened to be on my bedside table and ranged it. And thankfully I knew some of the ranges too. So I was very confident that it was sitting right at 36 <laughs> yards, just chilling. And, uh, you know, I go through this whole plan with my wife. I say, look, I'm going to creep this door open. I'm going to step out onto the porch. You're going to stay back here and make sure the baby doesn't cry when I open the door. And I'm going to shoot that bear and, you know, all of our adrenaline's through the roof, you know, she's hunted some, but this is still like, you know, she's almost feeling it more than me, like freaking out a little yeah. bit. And so I grab my bow, I knock an arrow, I dial my, uh, you know, spot hog to 36 yards and I open the door and I see its ears perk up, but it doesn't smell me. It doesn't see anything. And I creep out in May. It's like freezing cold in the morning in my underwear, <laughs> like creep out like Rambo. And then I just draw my bow and, you know, get all my anchor points, you know, find the bear right in the middle, um, right in the vitals. And I sling an arrow and I hit it. And, uh, you know, it was that's cool. so amazing. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was one of those things where, you know, I'd been spotting stalking for days trudging through like doing all this hard work and then the opportunity that presented itself was literally at my doorstep um and we took advantage of it but you know I, the funny part of that story doesn't necessarily end there because um what happened is that bear was perfectly broadside and when i shot my bow it jumped the string a bit so it actually ended up kind of quartering towards me a little bit. And I was confident in the hit and where I was aiming. And I knew I hit it in the shoulder or right behind the shoulder where I was aiming. But I let gotcha. a little time go by because it ran off. And I went and I only found half of my arrow. Pretty decent blood, but only half of my arrow. And so... I start trailing blood once, you know, the sun comes up and I gave it a little bit of time. And the problem was I'm colorblind. And for anyone who's been in <laughs> Idaho in May, the chaparral bushes 
are insane. They are green and they have little red dots on them. So my colorblind ass was like doing okay tracking like the heavy blood. But when we got about 400 yards from the house, things really started to dry up. So okay. I I went and got my wife and I said, honey, like you're going to have to strap the baby to you. Like I need help. <laughs> so my wife straps our infant <laughs> to her. And we go out and we start tracking blood. And she had the same problem I did. We got up to where the trail ended and it was distinct up until that point. But the problem was right where it ended, you look up and there's this giant hill and it opens up in all directions. So this bear could have literally gone any direction and there's no sign. And then as we're sitting there bemoaning that it starts to fucking rain. And I mean, (laughs) so all blood lost everything. And I'm just devastated. I'm like, it has to be here. I know it was a good shot. Long story short, or long, already long story made a little bit shorter. I'm going to keep going is I had to call in you know, reinforcements essentially. So, you know, we ended up getting childcare. We had our sitter in town come and sit with the baby. My wife got dressed. We ended up having two friends from town come up. And when I say we scoured that hillside for hours, we scoured that hillside for hours until a thunderstorm broke us up. And, you know, we were just wow. beating through this chaparral hand over hand. It's overhead high. I'm just hoping I'm going to trip over this bear at some point and hope it's, you know, expired. And, uh, we were all bummed and our friends left when it started to storm. And my wife and I just sat on the opposite hillside, um, you know, doing it. And I actually said a prayer. I'm not a very religious guy, but I said a prayer. My God, just help me find this bear. And I shit you not like about the time that happened, we heard that bear's death moan on the hill. And, you know, this was a couple hours later. So, you know, it was not a fatal shot, at least initially, um, but we heard it and I knew it was there and I was torn up, obviously. And then my wife started crying because for those of you who have not heard a bear die, it is a very, like, no matter who you are, I don't care. Unless you have no feelings at all. It's sad. It sounds like a dying human. Um, but, you know, for us, that was a sign that it was there. Um, so my wife ended up going home. I searched for a few more hours, still no luck. So I went home devastated thinking about this meat spoiling. And I got up the next morning. I had another buddy come up. We followed the trail and literally through Chaparral, we just followed the path of least resistance, which I don't know why I didn't do in the first place. But about 300 yards from that last sign of blood we had straight up the hill in a little knoll, we found the bear. Um, oh, good, good, great. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was great. Um, yeah. you know, my buddy, do you want me to help you skin it out? And I'm like, not at this point. Like, I want to, like, I need some alone time with this bear. So yeah. skinned it out. I was able to save some back straps, two of the hindquarters. Some of it had gone bad. But uh, the part that some of my non-hunting friends find funny is, you know, this poor bear, you know, I saw the injury and I saw that I shot it right where I meant to. But when he quartered to me, my arrow smacked his shoulder blade, and that's what broke my arrow. But it sent my arrow straight down in his intestines. And as I was skinning it out, when I got to the testicles at first, because in Idaho, you have to leave evidence of sex, 
my Havilon, my little knife was like taking metal when I was trying to, you know, cut around its scrotum. I was like, what is that? And I shit you not, my broadhead and arrow, like half of the arrow had gone straight down and my broadhead came to a stop in his testicles. Um, (laughs) You know, it was like a million dollar shot, I guess. But, you know, I had the biggest empathy pains. My nuts were hurting just cutting around it. And I felt so bad for that bear. But, you know, we recovered. Yeah, what a terrible way to die. (laughs) Yeah, it was pretty sad. But, you know, some of my non-hunting friends find that a little humorous. But, you know, it was a a story. And it was like a huge emotional arc throughout. That's amazing, man. That's amazing. First off. Your wife is an amazing woman for strapping the baby up and then going to look for a bear with you. Like, I, I don't I don't imagine the world where I can convince my wife to do ex- what your wife did. So good on you, man. Um, the, the question I had, and this isn't necessarily related to the story, but like you're an adult onset hunter. When did you pick up archery? Was that just like right off the bat or did you start with rifles and then transition to archery? No, so I started with archery um i've actually never taken an animal with a rifle outside of like dispatching an animal on a trap line um so that's still something on my bucket list but yeah it was kind of a when i got into hunting it, it was kind of i don't want to say peak cuz i think it's peaking now but it was when i think joe rogan was getting into it there was cam hain so yeah, there were all these bow hunters that I was starting to see. And, you know, I followed John Dudley at the time. So right or wrong. And I talk about it in the book, I was like, you know, if I'm going to get into hunting as an adult, which is kind of a pretentious asshole kind of thought is like, I'm going to do archery because that's more noble. And now that I've been in Idaho and I've taken some long range shooting courses, like gun hunting is just as difficult and it has its own issues with weather and things like that in the season. So it's, I am not against it, but I just happened to continue and start with archery and I've just kind of stuck with it mostly because I suck and I really want to get better and I need all the practice I can get. (laughs) Yeah. Don't we all, that's cool. Then not many people started with archery. So it's, it's, it's an interesting spin on it, but man, that's amazing. I'm, I'm very glad you found that bear. I wouldn't have been surprised if that story going a totally different direction, but um, I don't know if you listened to, I think it was episode two with Doug Bowes. He wrote the book on black bears, but he's got this, this pond that he goes up and like, basically when he's hunting, he's skinny dips in and he's always thought about shooting a bear in his, in his underpants from that lake. And so uh, I'm going to have to <laughs> reach out to him and make sure he hears your story here. Cause you're living his dream kind of. <laughs> yeah. Well, thankfully there was no water nearby. I would have frozen to death, but yeah, no, yep. My first bear, I shot it in my underwear. That's amazing. I, I feel like the first I've, I've yet to shoot an elk with my bow and I'm nearly positive that the first time I ever shoot a, an elk, it's going to be like while I'm going number two in the woods, like pants down, like that's just how it's going to happen. So, cause it hasn't happened any other way. So that's gotta be how it happens. So but that's awesome, Zach. That was a great story, man. Um, what what else do you got for us? That, I mean, I don't know how you beat shooting a bear in your underpants right next to your three-month-old baby. <laughs> yeah, no, that's kind of my, my topper. I mean, the other stuff has really been kind of cool interactions. Like I had a bear steal a, a mule deer I shot um, a while back. But, you know, I, I'll talk about a recent one I had, and this was just more kind of cool. <laughs> so... 
a lot of people that have probably listened to some of the podcasts I'm on or read the book, you know, I have taken really fondly to trapping. And, you know, part of that is probably because I suck at hunting, but, you know, <laughs> trapping is a, it's a different animal, right? It was one of those things when I got into it, I didn't have an intention of getting into trapping, but it kind of happened when I came out to Idaho, I talked to some old timers. I always had this weird, well, I don't think it's weird. I think it's very common perception of trapping being kind of cheating, like super easy, right? Like, why would you want to trap an animal? That seems so unfair to the animal. Um, you know, having trapped, having done government trapping now, like there is nothing further from the truth until you get into it, which is trapping is by far the hardest freaking thing ever. And it is also, you know, I'm not a great hunter, but I think trapping has made me a better hunter because the amount of, yeah, the amount of investment you have to understand the animal, do and get the equipment you need, make sure it's all prepped, get out and do trap lines, go check them. It's such a huge time investment. And the thing that I like to, and I talk about it in the book too, is I do all sorts of trapping. My favorite is waterline trapping. So beaver, otter, and that's what I'm going to talk about. But canine trapping, like wolves, coyotes, foxes is also difficult. But to kind of put it into perspective for people who don't trap, you know, you might have a six inch by six inch trap. And if you think about like where I live, I've got 3000 acres that I'm trapping, right? And my goal is to get a very smart canine or cat or whatever it is to step on said six inch by six inch square metal pan and trip it. And maybe that yeah. sounds easy, but these animals are so smart. Like I've had so many wolves come up to my traps, pull the trap covers off, piss on them. And I'm, you know, in my head, <laughs> I think they flip me off and walk away. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, it's not as easy as it seems and it's such a challenge. Um, yeah. So that was my little you know, just nuanced view that I had that's changed dramatically. Yeah. I've never done any trapping. I have no experience. Um, so uh, I, I've never really put too much thought as to whether it's easy or hard, but it's so interesting to hear that it's, it, that you find it, you know, the most difficult, but I imagine you have to check your lines daily. Is that right? So it, it depends on the state. Idaho law is every 72 hours. I have, okay. you know, I think, Part of this comes from being an adult onset hunter. And, you know, I've talked about this with some other folks on podcasts. It's like, I'm actually pretty glad I didn't get into hunting hindsight as a young kid because, you know, young assholes act probably would have done a lot of different things that probably would have been, you know, I don't think I would have been morally corrupt by any stretch. I wasn't like a bad kid, but, you know, yeah. You, you just haven't. I don't think I've heard a story of yeah of a kid hunting that didn't just shoot every bird. Like you know, they, they, it's a gray area when, in hunting with children, right? Yeah, you don't. They don't always stay in the most most ethical. They're just having fun in the woods. So exactly, and so I'm glad with that. But to that point, like with the the trapping and um, the hunting, it's getting into it as an adult has made me so much more ethically cautious. You know, so to checking trap lines. Like I, I check them every day. So if I have a trap line out, awesome. I make sure that I have the time to go check it because I don't want an animal to suffer. I don't want, you know, especially if I have a non-target catch, which has happened, right? You have something you're not intending to catch. You don't want it to stay in there. Um, 
but yeah, so I mean, yeah, it's every day for me when I run trap lines. And, you know, my point was more around like to trap an animal and to get something to step on that small space. Like you actually have to really know that animal, you know, you, it's not just like putting out bait or lure and something is going to go in there. Like you have to know their patterns, you know, how they travel in packs and, you know, how they react to different environmental cues, smells. And all of that is what has made me actually a better hunter from having to do that day in and day out with a bunch of different, really sensitive animals. Interesting. That's so interesting. Well, cool. Um, and then, so what, what all have you trapped? I got to ask, like, I think wolf, otter, beaver, I heard, what else did you, what have you caught intentionally and not intentionally? Yeah. I was about to say like, uh, l- let's say, what have I attempted to trap and what have I successfully trapped? So we'll start there. <laughs> um, you know, the main things are fox. Fox is year round out here in Idaho. So fox and badger, those two are 24-7-365. Um, the other things that I trap mostly are coyotes and wolves. Uh, I haven't had success with wolf yet, even though I keep trying. They're just the smartest damn animal, even though we have about five active packs running around just tearing through our elk and deer. Um, yeah. But it's going to happen. I'm going to connect sometime. Um, but then the waterline stuff is kind of my favorite. So beaver and otter um, is really where it's at, out where I'm at. Um, and also for just actual maintenance out here. So I'm the, until very recently was the rural Atlanta uh, chairman of the highway commission. <laughs> so we have a little two man crew that helps keep our road clear of avalanches and rock slides year round. Cause it's a dirt road. Um, gotcha. And we've had instances where beaver have fallen trees across the road, washed them out, causing literally millions of dollars of damage. And then now recently, um, the guy who runs our electric co-op in Atlanta has been reaching out to me because there's a, a dam upstream of our, or yeah, beaver dam upstream of our electrical dam and the water levels dropping significantly. So when I'm, you know, in the next huh. week or so, I'm going to be going out and trying to trap out that dam, but yeah, that, and then let's see what else is up here that we're trapping. So we've got, can't trap Fisher where I'm at, but we have Martin. So doing a lot of Martin trapping and okay. Bobcats. That's the other big thing. Gotcha. Cool. And I would love to get into that. I, I don't know anything about it. I, I think in Colorado, it was illegal. And that's why I never really explored it too much. Um, and I, I guess I need to start looking at Texas and see if I can do any kind of trapping here. But um, oh, we'll, yeah. we're getting off track. I'm sorry. I said there is, and I've got some connections down there for you in like the Austin, New Braunfels area to go coyote trapping. So I'll, I'll hook you up. Oh, that'd be fun. Yeah. Let's, yeah. Let me know. That'd be super fun. But story wise, you know, one of the things, so when I have to go out of town, which is, you know, a four hour dirt road drive, uh, a lot of times I will hit some beaver dams, you know, that are further down that I don't hit on like a daily route. So I'll carry some 330 kind of bears or some foothold traps and a drowning wire. And I'll set those when I leave to go to Boise for, you know, a day trip or whatever I'm doing, check them on my way back. So I was doing exactly that. I had set some traps uh, early morning, came back the next morning. And this was like three or 4 a.m. Um, this was early December of this past year. 
I'm driving back and this was a dam that had washed out the road. We had taken our loader and tried to break the dam three times and the beaver just kept rebuilding it. So eventually I got a permit with Fish and Game to, you know, trap this thing out. And, you know, it was brimstone and fire, you know, leave no trace kind of trapping going on. So (laughs) I had set like four or five different traps and I was coming back um, in the morning and I pulled my truck up and it was shining into the water where this water had been pulled up and I saw a beaver and I was like, oh shit. Okay. So I carry a suppressed nine millimeter um, BNT with me in my truck, just in general. I was like, gotcha. I could shoot that, you know, cause that was obviously not trapped. And I was like, well, I need to take this beaver out cause this is washing out the road. So that was actually a I question get- I had while you're talking there. So is that then hunting and are you allowed to hunt them or is it still considered kind of trapping? Cause that's your end goal. I mean, you're, pro- you're putting them down with a pistol probably when you find them anyways. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you, most of the trapping I do for water bearers is, you know, fatal. So I've, I never really come up on a live beaver uh, in most instances, but yeah, it would be hunting in that instance, which is, is okay. um, Cause it was within season and I had the permit for it and everything, but long story short, I've never taken anything with a rifle and I'm a terrible shot. So (laughs) I've got, and I don't know, I, I, I blame the water refraction, but this beaver just shot underwater. I was like, well, that's weird. And I, I had a headlamp on. So I kind of walk up on this lodge and I'm looking and this beaver is swimming like at top speed all around me. I'm like, well, that's bizarre. So it kind of stopped and looked at me and I shot, missed, you know, I did that probably three or four times before I was like, okay, this is just ridiculous. And I'm getting embarrassed. Um, <laughs> and, you know, this beaver disappeared into like a den and I was like, whatever. So I was, you know, setting some more traps out of the time. And, uh, anywho set them out. I had, I didn't have anything in the traps at the time. So I go back home. I come back the next morning, the traps I had set a little bit up river. I had three beaver in them. It's great. And then I get down to where, um, I had seen that beaver swimming around and I forgot a part of the story, which is when I saw that beaver swimming around and I shot at it, I still had to set traps. So I put on my waders, I went in the water. And when I went in the water, this beaver came out and was swimming circles around me, which was the craziest and one of the coolest experiences I've ever had in the woods. Like this, you know, beaver just shooting around me. Like I had no idea they could swim that fast. Yeah. Um, But it disappeared and I set my traps. Came back the next morning. There were three beaver and traps I'd set further up river. And when I got to this one, it was a foothold on a drowning wire, which what that means is, I had broken the dam and I had put a foothold like you would think like a classic trap, like what you would think in like a, a movie where someone's a dog steps on it and it clamps on their wrist. Right. But for it, beaver, yeah. they step on it and you have it attached to a cinder block and some deep water on a long cable that has a one way um, essentially like clamp on it so they can swim down the wire, but they can't swim up. So they step on the trap, they get spooked and their natural instinct is to swim down. So they swim down and they get to the bottom of the cinder block. They can't go back up and they drown peacefully. So I come up on this and I'm looking with my headlamp. I'm like, oh man, I caught another beaver. This is great. This is number four for the day. But when I start to get in the water and pull up the cable, I realize that it's this huge otter. 
Um, thankfully it was just as otter season started. Cause I think there's like a quota of 15 <laughs> in our area. Um, but it was this beautiful otter ended up measuring five and a half feet from nose to tail. Wow. But what, yeah. What is like a normal, that seems huge to me, but like, what is the average size of an otter? You know, I think they range from like three foot to, you know, five and a half feet. Like, you know, this okay. was stretch. This was post stretching after I'd skinned it a little bit. So it was probably like, you know, four and a half feet while it was alive. Still um, a big otter. But it was yeah. Still a, okay. Yeah. It was a huge otter, you know, 40 pounds. And, uh, you know, what I realized at that point though, that thing I had shot at the night before and the, you know, otter was ultimately what was swimming around me that night before or the morning before, uh, which was oh, really cool. Okay. Cause I was like, I had no idea beaver were so fast and they're not. Um, so I was like, this just <laughs> must be like a, you know, beaver on crack, but it was an otter. So it was this otter who are, you know, naturally curious, which makes a lot of sense why it was out. It wasn't afraid of like my headlamp, whereas beavers will just go and hide and not come out. This guy was just swimming around me and hindsight, I'm very lucky it didn't tear into me because, you know, otter are pretty mean little critters, especially when they're trapped or, you know, pissed yeah. off. They call them river wolves up here because they eat all our <laughs> trout. Um, but yeah, that was a, that was just a cool experience that I had trapping in the water. Just getting to swim with an otter unknowingly. Yeah. That's super cool. Another trapping question for you. What happens if you catch something, say, out of season or like or that you're not supposed to trap? Like what 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 do you do at that point? Do you call the fish and game or or Yeah, there's uh throw into the woods and walk away? <laughs> yeah, no, there there's two things you would do there. So one let's say you call it a non-target animal either out of season or it's just not what you were targeting and it's not in season and it was a fatal trap. So, so for instance, if you caught, you know, if you were out coyote trapping in Idaho in August and you somehow caught a bobcat, you know, you could catch a coyote then, but you can't catch a bobcat because it's not bobcat season because that doesn't open until no. mid-December. If that bobcat is dead, you would call fish and game they would either have you bring it in and, you know, they would take it. They, you know, they pelt it, they end up selling it and, you know, keeping the proceeds when the first sales come around in January. Um, and that's kind of the protocol. Like as long as you're honest, you weren't targeting okay. it, there's nothing, just call fish and game. But where it gets really interesting is if you catch in a live trap or a foothold trap, and you come up upon a bobcat, say, out of bobcat season that's in your trap, that is on you as Mr. Trapper to release said pissed off bobcat or mountain lion. Um, oh, Jesus. So, you know, I'll have to send you a video, but and I talk about this specifically in the book, but Rusty Kramer is a great guy. He's the president of our Idaho Trappers Association. Amazing wolf trapper. Um, you know, he sent me some pictures and videos um, one time, like b before going to his regular nine to five, you know, he was out checking wolf traps and before nine o'clock on one specific day, he had two full grown mountain lions trapped in his wolf traps and you can Jesus. hunt mountain lion in Idaho, but you cannot trap them. So you have to release them. So literally just to give reference, like if you're releasing a wolf or a mountain lion, first they're pissed off. But you just take a catch pole, kind of like you would think of, uh, 
you know, 101 Dalmatians when they're trying to snag the dogs by the neck, you know, just like a PVC pipe with a little rope in it. You put that around the cat's neck, try to pin it to the ground and have either yourself or a buddy go up and release this trap that's not necessarily easy to get off, (laughs) get it off their foot. (laughs) And then pray as you start to release the noose around their neck that they don't come and maul you. And it's the same, like, you know, there's tons of videos if you go on YouTube, like, do mountain lion trap release or bear trap release. That's a big one uh, in the fall for wolf hunters is, you know, bears <sighs> trying to run around and get ready for the the winter. You know, these black bears will step in a wolf trap and they're stuck and you got to do the same thing. You have to release it. And that is a scary thing. I've only had to release a bobcat myself. And that was like, releasing a fucking Tasmanian devil with claws. And so I can't imagine sure, like, you know, the full grown mountain lions or anything else like that. I've, uh, I've had to like cut the fingernails of a house cat and it's terrifying. Like you, you gotta be kidding me that you're out there wrestling these animals and releasing them from traps. That is mind blowing. How I have to ask is it like common for injuries or deaths? Like, is that something that's like, Oh, another hunter or hunter, excuse me, another trapper mauled by a cougar trying to release it. Or is that common or do people just figure it out? I don't think it's very common. You know, I, I think there's a couple things that go to into it in reality. And like I said, I'll, I'll find the video Rusty sent me. It's it's insane. Like you would, you look at it and you're like, you're batshit crazy. But, you know, yeah, the animals generally like they're pretty tired by the time that yeah. the trapper gets because, okay. you know, they're trying to break free. You know, I think there's a little bit of that innate, like, okay, this person's trying to help me. And, uh, you know, that's probably my own like projection. So that way, when I have to do it again, like <laughs> I can yeah. convince myself, but you know, there are ways like with the catch poles, using your hips and, you know, being smart about it and also like being strapped and ready to shoot this animal if it tries to attack you. I think that's the other <laughs> key factor. Um, yeah. I, I don't think it's, that common i mean i'm sure there's like small injuries cuts scrapes bites um you know stay up to date on your rabies shot i guess but yeah i haven't heard a lot of at least frequent injury gotcha man this is so insane okay yeah send me that video i would love to put that on the instagram so people can watch this craziness because i can't even comprehend like i said like i'll my wife and i we have a we have a main coon so it's a big cat but it is no it's no cougar. It's no mountain lion. It's no bear. And we wrap that cat up in a pillowcase and you're probably, you don't probably don't have a pillowcase big enough or on you in the woods. Right. <laughs> no. And there was a, a I saw one recently <laughs> of a YouTuber or I'll have to find his too, but he was releasing a bear, you know, same thing. It's like, usually when you're out checking traps, it's pre light. So, you know, you're rolling up on a trap, you know, you set and you're expecting a, you know, coyote and all of a sudden you've, got a pissed off 200 pound black bear or, you know, 150 pound cat. And you're like, well, my morning's starting a little differently. Yeah. Jeez. Jesus. All right. (laughs) Well, thanks for sharing all that information, Zach. I had no idea, man. That's, that is terrifying. Um, So what what do you, what do you got next, man? Beyond the, the beautiful beaver otter swimming. Do you got another story for us or you you think you're all done for today? (laughs) I'm trying to think if there's anything that I can, uh, I'll, I'll do one more from the book. And this is just, uh, you know, Southern boy learning to hunt. You know, I came out and 
my yeah. first real season and year out in Idaho, I was trying to hit everything. This was before I met my new wife. I didn't have kids. So I was just going ham. Um, so I drew an early archery antelope hunt over in the Lemhi mountains, beautiful area, um, kind of in, I guess that's Eastern Idaho, kind of getting closer to Montana. Okay. And I, a buddy fly out from Georgia, you know, a guy I grew up with who he hunted his whole life, but you know, for whatever reason, we never connected when we were in our youth hunting. So he came out with me, you know, we had no idea what we were doing antelope hunting. Like we knew it was going to be just a lot of attempts because this area was just rich in antelope. Like we drove our truck down that main road and we were kind of just spying these different herds of antelope and we would just get out and fail. You know, I try to like crawl through this like knee high sagebrush, which was just the only thing in this <laughs> desert before it went just jagged mountains. Um, I'd get busted. You know, we had a decoy. We try to shimmy out there. And then, you know, the next day we try to blind over some water and, you know, we were seeing different bits of things that were more successful, but on the third day, there was an area called the donkey Hills and it's just all this flat desert and farmland. That's literally just shin high sagebrush. Um, and that's what we'd been crawling through for the past two days. Um, and there was some hills that went up and then we saw antelope in the hills, which kind of surprised me. I'm like, well, I'm going to go up. My buddy was tired. So he stayed back in our little camp and I took my bow and I went up into the hills and I was taking a decoy and I was just kind of crawling around literally like Rambo trying to stay behind these little shin high sagebrush bush bushes. And I finally got burnt out cause I kept getting skunked and uh, I was walking back to camp and just trouncing through these bushes, not thinking anything of it. And then I had the most like primordial fear and experience wash over me. And I just remember jumping on one foot. I mean, I felt like a high jumper to the right. And I looked back down to my left where I had probably come within a couple of inches of stepping on a rattlesnake. No way. Yeah. And, and so you just like, it, like it didn't, it, it didn't make any noise. You just like had this feeling and jumped right. away. No God. rattle, no, no, nothing. Like I just had this feeling and like, it was literally instinct where I was hopping on the one leg that was still planted while this other one was about to just boot this snake. And, you know, at that time I was like, Oh shit. Like we've just been crawling around this desert for days. I have like, Hindsight, I looked it up and that area has like the highest per capita rattlesnakes <laughs> in all of Idaho. <laughs> so, I mean, I was probably coming close to them anyways, just didn't know it. But, you know, that scared the shit out of me. I'm not a big snake guy. So I I ended up shooting all six of my arrows <laughs> that I had in my boat. So I might want to kill this thing because we were going to eat it and I wanted to skin it. And plus yeah. I almost stepped on it. But I've never seen an animal move so fast. Like I was you know, 15 yards away, had the pin on its head. And every time I shoot my bow, it jumped the string. So wow. I shot all, all six arrows and eventually I just aimed for the body and I'd hit it in the body once. And I radioed to my friend in camp and I said, Hey man, bring my nine millimeter. Like I almost stepped on a rattlesnake, which I shouldn't have told him. Cause then he was all cautious walking up. Um, but we got there and you know, his first words to me, and this is in the book is like, Holy shit, general Custer, what happened? Cause literally there were just six arrows sticking in this one bush. It looked like, you know, 
Indians had come by <laughs> and shot at something. <laughs> did you so take a no picture care. of that? I would love to see that bush. I, I wish I did. I didn't have the the thought to do it. I did dull yeah. all of my broad. So that was great. Um, but you know, we ended up shooting it and I have pictures of the snake and I ended up skinning it. We ate it that night in camp and, uh, That's it was kind of cool, but we were both spooked after that. Like, you know, you've never seen two guys walk slower through sagebrush after that, which isn't great when you're trying to move on antelope. Yeah, no, I've been antelope hunting. I, I went twice this season and I, I, I was told watch out for rattlesnakes watch out for rattlesnakes we didn't we didn't run into anything so i, I don't maybe it just wasn't in the area maybe it was too cool i mean it was 90 something degrees the, the other thing i really remember from that antelope hunt is that i lost my release and that was frustrating I, I like i think it was 101 degrees an hour long stock on these antelope just never got in on them and then when i finally gave up i looked down i'm like where's my where's my release <laughs> I, had no, I had literally no idea Spent the next two hours looking for it and, and no luck. Fortunately, I had a backup, but man, antelope hunting is a, is a, it's different. You do get a lot of reps different yeah. than any other big game I've ever done. So. Yeah. I think that was the thing. My, everybody I talked to, and I tried to do it every year now in anticipation of archery elk. Um, like you said, you get all that, all those reps that stalking in, you get busted and you're always going to have another shot, even if you don't end up getting one, but you get a lot of reps. And like you said, that's, that's a great warm up, whether that's for deer or elk. Absolutely. Absolutely. The place we went, Southeastern Colorado, um, man, there was no topography, none at all. So I, I, we, we struggled, um, didn't really even get to like draw our bow back or really have any good opportunities because, uh, they, you know, they see you from a mile away, but we, we learned, right. I had never done it. Never, uh, never gotten any advice from anyone. And we realized, okay when we pull up and see one, don't stop the car, drive past. Like you got to keep yep. going and then come back around. So like, there's all sorts of different little nuances to antelope hunting. Um, but they're, they're a cool, cool critter. So. Yep. And I agree with that. And it sounds like we had very similar experiences, not a lot of topography to work with. So it's, that's makes it even harder, but it's fun. So it is, anybody it is. Antelope, go do it. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me think I need to be better at uh, shooting like 60 to 70 yards. Cause I, I don't know if I'm ever getting within 40 of an, of an antelope. So yeah. just need to get better at archery, right, Zach? That's the thing. Well, you know, the one deer that I pinwheeled a heart shot at 90 yards. Wow. The bear took it. Yeah. Um, that was a, a questionable shot at best, but I had been skunked for a long time. And I convinced myself to do it, talking about ethics and morals. Wouldn't do it again, but I ended up nailing this deer and not knowing it. And, uh, a bear ended up claiming it two bears actually. So I never got that deer. <laughs> that day. So did you see the beer go? Uh, I mean, did you see the, the, the deer go down? Um, well, and then the bear, the bears were just right there. Or did you come back the next day or when did they get it, on it? Yeah, it was the next day. So uh, this, again, this is another book story for, for folks. Um, but long story short, I ended up shooting this doe. I had a controlled hunt tag. It was the last day for it, and I had not seen anything. So these three doe came out, ran to this other ridge line. I'd been shooting a lot. Like I have a 120-yard range at my house, so I shoot over 100 yards a lot. Um, so I had confidence in the shot, but I was sitting there, and I ranged it, and there were just these three beautiful doe standing on this other ridge line. You know, it was late in the day. I was like, you know what? I'm probably – this is not the right attitude to have, but this is just being honest, you know, talking about yeah. how 
you know, we've all make been this, there. Yeah, right or wrong. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to just take this shot. So I dialed my bow all the way up to 90 yards, rearranged it, rearranged it because they were just standing there. It was a straight shot, no elevation. And I hit the shot and I saw dust blow up behind the deer when it made impact. But it was so far away, I couldn't see like a hit. And the doe didn't seem to react. Like they reacted that the arrow hit around them, but all three of them just walked off. And I was like, in my head immediately, like I missed that deer. And I'm like, I'm not surprised. That was a 90 yard shot. I missed that deer. And so I went over to where they were at. Um, They had kind of walked around this knoll. It was this kind of steep ridge line. They walked around this knoll. And uh, I didn't see any blood and I couldn't find my arrow for the life of me. I was so pissed. Uh, I was like, what is going on here? Like I clearly missed this deer. There's no blood. It was getting dark. So I was like, you know what? I'll come back tomorrow. I know where these deer are bedded. I'll try to find my arrow then when it's a little bit brighter light. Um, All good. And I didn't want to just follow the deer because I was afraid I'd spook them. And I wanted them to come back and bed in the same spot. So go back to camp, sleep, get up before first light. And I kid you not, like maybe 200 yards out from where these deer were bedded, I started to belly crawl. I'm like, you know what? I'm just committing here. I'm going to make sure the wind is <laughs> yeah. And I belly crawled all over this deadfall timber, blah, 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 blah. It takes me like an hour to get within 50 yards of where they were bedded. And I heard something like, 20 yards in front of me. I was like, oh, oh, yes. And so there was all this deadfall. It had been like a burned timber area. And I heard the distinct sounds of an animal. I'm like, okay, that's got to be a deer like right here. So I knocked an arrow. That's how confident I was that there was an animal. (laughs) And I poked my head up over this little burnt stump. And there's a freaking huge black bear like right there, (laughs) 30 yards from me. And I was like, oh, shit. And I'd already used my bear tag on the one I shot in my underwear. So I couldn't kill this bear, you know, unless it was self-defense. So I was like, oh shit. And I was like, I hope it doesn't smell me or, you know, come at me, but I was just upwind of it. So a little bit of time goes by and my nerves cool, but I watched this bear and I eventually sit up and this bear works directly down towards where I was trying to go and directly to where I had taken that shot at those deer the day before. And I watched this bear paw at the ground, like kind of near where, you know, the arrow would have been. And I was like, that's weird. It still just didn't make sense to me because I was just so convinced I had missed this deer. And I'm like, yeah. I wonder how that bear smells those deer from like the day before and why it's so interested there. And then as I watched it follow the exact path I watched those deer go, it dawned on me that like, holy shit, I must have hit a deer yesterday. And so I let the bear kind of walk by because it was pretty determined and set on some scent. And so I kind of got the nerves and I I followed the path the bear went to. And I went up to that log where I had originally shot the deer and I would have expected to have found my arrow. And sure as shit, laying right there in the dirt was my arrow with blood from tip of broadhead to the knock. And I was like, oh no, like the most heart-wrenching sinking feeling like i nailed that deer like perfect heart blood full shaft and i was devastated so i put that back in my quiver and 
I just, I was so kind of amped up and pissed off. I'm like, fuck this bear. So I like followed the path and I kid you not, I walked maybe 20 yards around that knoll and I looked down the hill and there was that deer with two bear on it. The one that I just watched and one that had been there already. And I just sat there for like an hour and a half and like watched these deer bear eat this deer. And I was just happy that it kind of got used, but also devastated that, you know, I had made a great shot and I didn't get to harvest this because we didn't have any meat in our freezer at the time. And yeah. it was devastating, but also kind of nice that I made a good shot, but it was a lot of emotions in that moment. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Did you, were you at some point, did they bugger off and you were able to go down and kind of see where your shot was or was the, the deer just a little too chewed up at that point? It was too chewed up. I mean, I, the fact that it only went, you know, maybe 20 yards and it died and from the blood I could still see on the arrow, like it was a vital shot, whether it was double lung or a heart, but it was a shot that was so smooth and went through no bone. Like that deer didn't react at all. It literally just walked off and died 20 yards from. So you shoot shooting far enough that it probably didn't even hear your bow. That's probably why it was like, what happened? We probably thought it got stung by a bee or something. So yeah, that's awesome, man. That's a cool story. That's super cool story. That that's all. I'm jealous of of uh, of your hunting, Zach. You've had a lot more interactions and a lot more successes than I've had. So, like I said, we've we started hunting around the same time, I think. But uh, you're you're doing it better than I am. So I got to catch up with you. Well, I don't know about doing it better. I'm just I, I'm very <laughs> fortunate that we moved to a place where I get to do it a lot. And that is, you know, I talked to somebody else, a guy Stephen Makovich, who you know, we're kind of doing some, some stuff together and he came out bear hunting with me this past year, but you know, he's been hunting his whole life. He's like, man, like you've already got all this experience. He's like, you you just beat down the learning curve. Like, you know, most people do it for many, many years and maybe go on one big Western hunt every once in a while um, and things like that. So I've been very fortunate to beat down the learning curve a lot more quickly than, you know, even some people who might've been hunting their whole lives have been able to. Yeah. It, it shows, man. It shows. I, uh, I struggle to have interactions and you seem to, uh, at least be around animals, which is super cool. And that might just be where you are in Idaho. You know, it might be that there aren't very many other hunters out there because I don't know. Are there, are there grizzlies where you are? I assume there are. No, actually. So <laughs> oh, wow. this, there are no confirmed grizzly. There have been some old timers and, you know, people that I actually trust quite well who have claimed to have seen Grizz where we're at. And to be honest, like we're not far from Yellowstone. So like not that bear, know one ridge line to a next and say, well, I can't go over in that area. But historically yeah. speaking, no is the answer. Um, but we always carry, <laughs> and I carry a, you know, a Ruger um, that I'm my, my little bear gun. And uh, yeah. all of that, and my wife's walking around. So, but we have moose, we have all sorts of big game. So, you know, wherever that is, and the wolf, there's going to be bear and maybe grizz. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? In, in, uh, in Colorado, there's no grizzlies either. But I have spoken to a game warden who says, oh, yeah, there's grizzlies. So and I don't really know what to think, but um, I, I should carry my sidearm with me more when I'm hunting in Colorado. 
Oh, well, actually, um, I, I know we're kind of probably running up on time, but speaking of that, I have one really quick story. I'd be really remiss yeah. to not tell um, what happened this past archery elk season when I was hunting in grizz country for the first time. And my buddy, my hunting partner, Eric, if you're listening, yeah, you'll, uh, you'll get embarrassed here. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> these are the perfect, these are the best stories. So yeah, we, we absolutely have to tell it. Go ahead. Okay. Zach. So I'll make this one super short, but my buddy and I, we were elk hunting out in like the West Yellowstone, Henry's Lake area. Um, tons of grizzlies, like regular grizzly attacks every year on tourists, all that good jazz. Um, so he and I never hunted grizzly territory. We were DIY archery elk hunting. So we were both a little nervous. So we both had, you know, I had my sidearm and bear spray. He had bear spray, a 10 millimeter. You know, we were, you know, kitted out like we were going to fucking Iraq um, just to go, <laughs> out, you know, because we were chickens. And yeah. long story short, we we're driving to the trailhead the first morning in my truck. My buddy, for whatever reason, had his bino pack in the floor and somehow in like the melee of just kind of getting, you know, in the truck, all that the safety pin on his bear spray can came off and oh God. he was putting on his boots and his bino pack with the bear sprays in the floorboard. And we're driving. It's 4 a.m. pitch black. I'm in my truck in an area I don't know. And all you hear is and my buddy <laughs> just goes, oh, fuck, bear spray. And like I'm buckled in trying to drive and like not registering what he's saying. And then all of a sudden my throat starts closing up and my eyes start closing. <laughs> and like, I'm trying to like slam the brakes, put the car in park. I can't find the buckle, like to unbuckle myself. It's caught on my bino pack. And essentially we bail out of this truck. My buddy took a direct hit to his thigh, the inside of his thigh through his pants. And it was just this bright orange and yellow. And, you know, we're both hacking and coughing and trying to air out the truck. And you're know, like, what the fuck happened? <laughs> and it was terrible. And my poor buddy, like the direct contact it had with his skin, like his legs started to swell. And uh, oh, no shit. Thankfully, he's a tough dude. So he like we didn't have a change of pants at the time. And we're like, you know what? Let's just go. Let's just do this thing. And like worst case, like, you know, we're not going to at least get attacked by a bear because we smell like bear spray. And uh, we're hiking around in the morning. We're never calling for elk. We're not getting a lot of action in the morning. And uh, eventually he looks at me. He's like, dude, my leg hurts so bad. He's like, you know, sorry. And he just says, sorry. And he takes his pants off. And <laughs> we ended up hunting the rest of the morning with him in his underwear with a bow just because his leg was so swollen and, you know, you know, burning constantly <laughs> sweating as we were doing that. So yeah, bear spray works and I don't suggest trying it. That's amazing. That's amazing. Zach, that was the perfect ending. You, you bookend your episode with two underpants stories. So that, that <laughs> couldn't have been better, man. Uh, <laughs> he'll never live that down. That's amazing. Um, <laughs> well, let's let's go ahead and wrap this thing up, man. Uh, I hope your friend listens. I hope that he has a laugh about it, and I hope that you never stop giving him shit. But well, uh, why don't we tell? To, yeah, he and I are about to do a 19-hour drive down to Arizona in two days because we're going mule deer and javelina hunting archery in Arizona. Awesome. So I'll have plenty of time to, to harangue him about the bear spray. 
<laughs> I'm sure. Admit, like, make sure it's in the back. Don't don't drop it in the floorboards. Oh, <laughs> uh, cool, Zach, man. Well, this is fun. This is a lot of fun. Why don't we? Uh, why don't we wrap this thing up and uh, maybe have you tell the people where they can find you if they're interested in following kind of your adventures, um, your Facebook, Instagram, whatever that might be. And then, of course, give them a little bit more information about the book or anything else you want to tell them about. Well, Michael, well, yeah, I appreciate it. Um, I'm pretty social media uh, sparse. So I do have a Facebook page. If you want to look me up at Zach Hansen, you'll see my pretty face in a cowboy hat and probably a bunch of crap about my book. Um, other than that, I do get on LinkedIn a lot. So if you're a LinkedIn fan, you can find me there. Other than that, I'm kind of in a social media drought. But you can find the book, Amazon.com. It's Turning Feral by me, Zach Hansen. You can do it at Barnes and Noble, um, you know, anywhere else books are sold. But yeah, Michael, this has been great and I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, man, this has been fun. And, and I'll put links to all of that stuff in the show notes. So if anyone's curious, you can go there. You can find his LinkedIn, his Facebook, and a couple links to purchase the book. And I'll, I recommend you all do. Um, I will let you know what I think of it as soon as I get my copy. I shipped it back to Colorado, Zach. So it's there. I just got to go get it. Um, I clicked the wrong address on my Amazon when I ordered it. So I got to go back to my other my house and, and, and pick it up. But uh, I, I can't wait to read it, man. Awesome, man. Well, I look forward to the feedback, but I appreciate you having me on, Michael. This was a blast. Yeah. Thank you again, Zach. I, I Again, like I said, I'm amazed that you reached out because you were on my list. So thank you. And um, yeah, to all the listeners, thank you guys for tuning in. Appreciate it. All right, guys, that's it. Another couple stories in the books. I want to thank Zach, of course, for jumping on the podcast. It was a real pleasure to get to know you. Uh, and you have some amazing stories and you know not many hunters out there can tell a, a collection of stories that do bookend in people in their underpants so thank you thank you again of course um the listeners thank you guys for tuning in please check out zach on facebook if you want to and you use linkedin do it there as well but check out his book turning feral you buy it anywhere books are sold um, i'm going to put links to all of this stuff in the show notes so feel free to just check that out if it's easier for you um, but beyond that, guys, share the podcast, please. That's all we're looking for here. We want to hear more and more stories. The more people that know about us, the more people are going to be reaching out with crazy stories. So tell your mama, tell your daddy, tell your buddy, your hunting buddies, or tell the stories about your hunting buddies. I don't care what it is, but uh, we want to hear from you. Um, so that's it, guys. Zach, again, thank you very much for telling us your stories. Everyone else, thank you again for tuning in. I hope the quality was there today. Uh, it's my first episode in my new studio, which is literally a closet. Um, we'll see how long I'm here before I can find out a better situation. But thank you guys very much. Now, go make some stories of your own.